everybody um that was coyote by wooden tooth and um we've mentioned it before on the podcast i think that uh, the band very kindly allowed us to use that um as the theme tune for the podcast um sadly um pete Nen, the guitarist from the band uh, has passed away um so we just want to send our thoughts to pete's family and rory derek and ian from the band um if you want to hear more of wooden tooth i highly recommend their ep winter from which that track is taken um, but yeah, um, we're, we're very grateful to the band that for the fact they've allowed to use the track uh, for all this time, and, and like I said, thoughts with uh, with Pete's family at this time. Um, this is, however, the Scottish Rugby podcast brought to you by the Scottish Rugby blog. I am Cammy Black. Um, we've got a a packed podcast this evening. There's been breaking news and all sorts flying around the uh, the, the internet just before we've come on air. Um, I'm joined to, to help me wade through that. I'm joined by Ian. Hey, good evening, Ian. Hello, Cammy, and hello everyone else who's listening and watching right now. As we yes, speak. and hello also to live from the Linton Travel Tavern. We've got Craig Manson. Hello, Craig. <laughs> good evening, all, and uh, as per Ian, uh, good evening, all the listeners and the viewers. Yeah, um, so you can, like as as mentioned, you can watch <clears> us live, and um, we're live on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, uh, Facebook. We're also live on our Patreon page, patreoncom Scottish Rugby Podcast, where you can sign up. From uh, £3 per month. For £5 a month, though, um, you get your name read out on the podcast. So thank you very much. George Pilly has signed up uh, for £5 a month. And I've got a couple of other names as well that, that I, I need to read out next week that I haven't had time to prepare for. So we've had a few other people, lots of people signing up for the podcast. Uh, for that, you get ad-free audio version of the podcast. And you also get a bonus weekly episode where we 
put the world to rights and talk about things uh, sometimes outside of Scottish rugby and sometimes outside of rugby as well. So we try and keep the main podcast now to a tight 60 minutes where possible. And patrons then get a bonus 60 minutes on top of that where we're a little bit more freer with our language, so to speak. Um, break. Should we start with the breaking news tonight then? Um, because about two hours before we've come on air tonight, uh, World Rugby have released their judgment against Razi Erasmus. And it, although we're the Scottish Rugby podcast, it, you know this was around his behaviour during the Lions tour. And obviously this time around we had fair bit of representation and plus we've just played South Africa so why not let's talk about this rather than talking about the game well, yeah seems great idea um so I think at the time I said I when the video came out and when there was all the Yako Johan nonsense and I know I came on the podcast three sheets to the wind after a bottle of wine <laughs> tend to be Yako Johan it all seemed real really fun at the time and I kind of split opinion. I thought, you know, it's adding to the narrative of the game. I don't mind. It's a bit of drama. But having read the judgment and actually all the stuff that was kind of going on behind what we saw on the internet, um, it's not great. It's pretty awful. I'm stopping myself from swearing there. Um, the for, I mean, most people will know that um, Razi Erasmus released a a 36-minute, think, long video picking apart all the refereeing decisions from the Lions' first test. Um, there was then a, a Twitter account that was kind of tweeting clips and asking him what he thought of things which may or may not have been him. Um, so World Rugby have found him guilty on all six counts that he was charged with. Um, and I'll see if I can find. I've got the, the counts here on my phone. Um, the, the judgment was 80 pages long. I've managed to read most of it. Um it's, I'm gonna to have to read more because it's there's a lot going on. Um, so the you're guilty of the six charge. The six charges are when I find it um, on my phone. I've got to Phil, Craig, Phil, quick! <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Here they are. Threatened the match official that unless a requested meeting took place, he would publish footage containing clips criticizing the match official's performance and then making good on that threat. Two, attacked, disparaged, and or denigrated the game and the match officials. Three, did not accept or observe the authority and decisions of match officials. Three, pu- four, sorry, published or caused to be published criticism in the manner of which match official handled a match. Five, engaged in conduct or activity that may impair public confidence in the integrity and good character of the match official and brought the game into disrepute when he published or caused to be published the Erasmus video. Um, so he's been found guilty on all six charges. Um South African rugby have been found fined twenty thousand uh, pounds, twenty thousand, yeah, twenty thousand um, pounds. Razi's been suspended from all rugby activities for two months, and suspended from all match day activities until the thirtieth of September, twenty twenty two. So that includes um, match press conferences, um, being in the stadium on match day. I think even kind of preparations for matches as well. Uh, um, you won't be carrying any water soon, will you? No, they'll have to. There'll be a job on uh, sporting vacancies water carrier <laughs> water carrier here must be able to operate earpiece and microphone must, must be able to shout fold <laughs> it's um i think i mean it, i had my doubts craig that he was going to be found guilty because i i thought the uh, his argument was going to be i didn't post the video or know anything about it however he seems to have I don't know if it's an age thing, but basically him and the guy that produced the video were like, we put it online and we didn't understand then that the world could see it. And then when we worked out the world could see it, we didn't do anything about it. It's it's quite something. Um, I was uh, I, I was with you. I was quite you know dismissive of it and thought it's a bit, you know, he's being a bit of a whiner. Ah, well, you know, uh, that's the way it goes. And also was very critical of World Rugby saying, what are they going to do about it? They're, they're, they're never going to do anything. They're toothless. Um, but actually, it, it makes quite disturbing reading when you go into the, the mo- some of the depths of it, um, considering the fact that uh, rule one for a criminal is not to tell everyone what you're going to do, then do it. <laughs> Um, and uh, and I'm not saying he's a criminal, but you know he's he's telling them that he, he's telling them that he's going to if they don't do what he says, 
he's going to release the video. The thing in. is, like, wait, that's fine, right? I mean, it's not fine, but like, if if, if you imagine <laughs> if this is Henry Hill and the Goodfellas, right? That film is going to be really short if he does what Raz is. Like, it's you know, when criminals will go in and the mafia, they'll, they'll lean on people and mm. say, if you don't do what we say we're going to do, then this is going to happen to you. But he then followed it up with an email. <laughs> Right, you don't you don't lean on somebody and then follow up in writing just in case they didn't understand. Just just ask, just let my show, just to formally advise. We are yeah. leaning on you, right? Yeah. As per my previous my visit to your shop earlier, where I demanded fifty million pounds, you know, five fifty thousand pounds for protection, I will burn your shop down if you do not pay me that money. I hope this is clear. <laughs> kind regards, Henry Hill. Yeah. So there's quite some, there's some, you know, Nick Nick Berry's also put some, you know, his his mm. testimony as well was quite um, not, not disturbing, but it was a, it was a fairly sad affair, and I'm, I'm, you know, it's not been very nice, you know. I have to, I, I was very, um, just as you say, it's, it's it's a lot worse than everybody I think really thought about it. They thought it was just being a bad loser, but actually it's been pretty rubbish yeah i mean i think that that's one the, the main thing is he's gone to nick berry the referee and said look you're gonna to have to own up to what you've done otherwise i'm going to release a video and it's going to go viral and they were able to substantiate that one because Razi rasmus sent an email very strongly hinting that that was going to happen and also um nick berry immediately went to ben o'keefe or i'm sorry dr ben o'keefe as he's referred to in the judgment just to give him the world drove you going how can we make ben o'keefe seem more reliable let's just <laughs> stick the title doctor on the front um, and so he, Nick Berry had told Ben O'Keefe that this that they'd had a conversation immediately after it happened, which obviously corro- uh, corroborates what he'd said. But the, it's the I think it's the um, like you said, Craig. There's a statement from um, Nick Berry that says, "I feel Mr. Rasmus engaged in a character assassination of me on social media. I've spent many years trying to build my reputation as an international referee, and in the course of this of his video, which was posted online, Mr. Rasmus has caused it un- unmeasurable damage." Though a small proportion of the rugby community will follow the outcome of this matter and in the process obtain an accurate account of what really occurred, the wider rugby community will only be aware of me in the context of this incident. I feel that regardless of the outcome and any sanctions imposed, my reputation as a referee and a person will forever be tarnished. Which is pretty strong words, Ian. Yes, what's the phrase that we can't use at at this time of uh, recording about stuff that sticks? Um... Yeah, so it's like what you when you know a lawyer says something in court and the judge says dismiss it, but that's not the problem. You know, it's already been heard. You know, mm. it, it can still play a little bit of mind games. And I mean, the whole thing just strikes me as being quite narcissistic um, on Erasmus's uh, behalf. He's to sit there for an hour. I mean, that's I mean, people don't have that long attention spans. <laughs> There's three of us here and me going for an hour, and that seems like it lasts forever, for God's sakes. Um, seven, hours, seven hours it took them. <laughs> seven hours, apparently, it took them to put that video together. Christ almighty. Um, yeah, um, like you said, you know, sort of warning people, I will I will expose you, and then actually going ahead and doing it. Um, and then inviting them to join a WhatsApp group. <laughs> I've, I've not had, I've only sort of read the, the highlights from, you know, various other sources. Um, but yeah, this is something I definitely want to read. But it's it, the whole thing. It's it, it's encouraging a pile on. It's bullying from somebody in a position of high status. Um, is what it is. And like Nick Berry said, you know, it's it's constantly going to uh, tar his name now. Yeah, I think yeah. that for me, it, this fundamentally is going to change um, how referees interact with players. Uh, national level, um, and, and I think it's going to have to because we've we've and we've talked on the podcast before. Wayne Barnes, in particular, he's not so bad with Scotland now, but I think that in the days when, probably because he hadn't come across many Scotland players when he's refereeing European matches, he would you know he talked to the Irish guys. There's one particular match where he's calling them all by the first name, and he's using the Scottish numbers, and that 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 felt unfair and felt unbalanced. And even in the in this judgment, you've got. Nick Berry corresponding with Razzie calling up calling him and calling him Razzie and you've got you know a Razzie email him calling him Nick and you know I think this there is that I suppose at club level you'd have that a pint with a referee in the bar afterwards and he'd be given the hospitality of the club but I think it 
at the, the stakes that are at international level in rugby, I don't think that kind of conviviality and that familiarity is going to be able to to stand now because you know somebody gets told you know someone else gets told that email says look he's calling him Nick they're on first names term there's these guys you know it does it's not it, it doesn't help I don't think and I think that the Razi Rasmus kind of like you almost using that using that familiarity to kind of get a bit of needle on a referee I think it's going to have to change I think world rugby are going to have to give referees much more protection Craig I think I think that's that's where the call coming in for a, a world governing body for referees, um, rather than the, the referees being accountable to each of their their uh, governing bodies. Uh, you know, like the RFU or the SRU. Um, I think the um, this will push that that the world re- you know the, a world referee body more and more down the line because it the. Now I'm not one for giving referees more power, but um, they're going to. This is now going to get to a point where we're going to have to give them the ability to sort out these problems independently from World Rugby and go to World Rugby and have someone to re- represent them. Um, because I think this is, you know, I I'm I'm all for having some uh, come and go with the ref and calling them their first name, etc. Off the pitch. But this is that's there's always one that it's like everything in life. There's always one that comes along and spoils it, and Razi Erasmus has been the one who's come along and spoiled it, you know, for everyone. And I hope he's, I hope he has to go and stand in the corner and think about it. Well, they're appealing South Africa. They've announced tonight. Razi Erasmus in South Africa have announced that they're appealing against it. So it's, this is going to drag on even longer, Ian. I mean, it just seems I don't understand what they have to. I mean, I've only read the judgment through once, but. I struggle to understand based on the stuff in the judgment, which is pretty damning how they could have the the nerve to appeal and not just kind of let this go. Oh, but it's okay. Marco Massotti and his team of New York lawyers will be on Rassi's side. <laughs> Arrogant swine. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a pretty clear-cut case. <laughs> the yeah. video is out there. It has been witnessed on many, many occasions. And they've admitted um, that they posted it online and that they knew it was visible to other people. They said the only you, you need a link to find it. That's what they said. You, you can only access it with a link, but they didn't make it private, which is possible on Vimeo. Um, aye, so they haven't really taken many steps to ensure no. that once it was in the public domain, it came out of the public domain. No. So they did, um, the first first morning, it had about eight views, and some of those weren't from within South Africa. And Razi messaged them and said, how the F, how in, in Africans, how the F can these people access it? But they didn't do anything about it. They didn't take it. They go, oh, right, we've made an error. We put this online. It shouldn't go online. They, they left it up there. I think it probably is still up there on Vimeo now, actually. Uh, I'm sure I was watching it on... Oh, no, I was watching it on Vimeo. I thought maybe I'd seen it on YouTube. Um... <laughs> I mean, fine, they can drag it. We know they'll drag it out just to save face um, or, or attempt to save face, but then just make it look worse. <laughs> but I think a 20 grand fine is actually pretty lenient when you consider how much um, Mark Dodson got uh, fined just for saying we will, uh, what was it? Well, it wasn't we'll take legal actions, you know, we're, we're taking legal advice. Um, so I yeah. think 20 grand is kind of. Mind you, he did start off with the threatening of threatening to do something. Maybe it's Mark Dodson's fault. <laughs> <laughs> he's a he's a leader. Uh, he's just following in his footsteps. I, th- I think that there was inter- yeah, Pete Burns did point that out on Twitter earlier to me, kind of saying, "You know, you look at the difference in the two. I think the cynical side of me says that that was world drug. You know, world rugby." take criticism of themselves more seriously than criticism of officials, which is one way to look at it and almost is, is, is almost certainly part of it. I think the other thing is that that was, it was run like a disciplinary, but it was, it wasn't a disciplinary hearing like this. So I think with a disciplinary hearing, you'll have a range of sanctions. The SIU thing was, it was a hearing, but it was about a breach of the participation contract, I think. So right. it wasn't, it wasn't a disciplinary. So I think, all bets were off about how much they could be fined because it's not within a strict tariff of whatever allowable under disciplinary proceedings. They don't have a framework for it. No, they don't. So they just kind of pull the figure out of the air. Um, so, yeah, but it is, you know, it's disappointing that, you know, it's only 20 grand. But somebody else has suggested that, you know, South Africa are pretty close to bankruptcy as a union and therefore maybe World Rugby would take it easy on them. 
So they're not doing themselves any not doing themselves any finances. Yeah. Don't think it's going to do them any favor by, favors by appealing. It's not going to save them any money. No, no especially not with New York lawyers. No, I don't. And it kind of feels it's slightly disappointing because it kind of this South Africa team. You know, I know they're kind of a team you love to hate, but take Razi out of it. There's a lot of likable guys in that South African team. I like Sia Khaleesi, and they've dragged mm-hmm. him into this. I mean, he was cited in the. You know, he's been cited as part of this, and Razi's dragged him into it by accusing. You know, accusing Nick Berry of, of kind of sh- showing um, bias against him because he was a black captain. Nick Berry was absolutely horrified by that accusation. Actually, went and personally spoke to Sia Khaleesi and said, "I'm really sorry if that's how it's come across. There's no way my intention to do that, and there's no there's no evidence to back it up. So it's it's dragging this. You know, Sia Khaleesi is yeah. backed by Rock Nation, and that there's this big effort to make Sia Khaleesi this you know this big figure that transcends rugby now." And and this completely undermines it. And if South African rugby are going to carry on with it, it's they're going to take him down with them. Yeah, I think was it the specific moment mentioned or one that somebody was angry about on Twitter um, is when they were talking. Uh, Khaleesi went up to Berry and asked him something, and Nick Berry sort of laughed. And it was like, look at him laughing in a black man's face. It's like he's laughing at the this sort of the gallus nature of the request because I think it was the penalty was blatantly obvious. But he's like, oh no, but he, there was something going on there. It's like, ha, don't be silly, see ya, off you, off you go. Um, yeah. And that's what they were sort of using as the example of racism, and that's clutching it at straws from quite a distance. Yeah, but it's, it's so. It, but then again, is it not just the way that Razi? Has clutched at every single thing to try and get his own way, and uh, and you know he's bringing Sia Khaleesi into it and, uh, and and making him part of this uh, this I've got a word for it but I can't use it on here but this um, complete show um, it's ridiculous and yes okay the, the the fine maybe should have been more but I think obviously I think you know him not being able to go near a rugby ground for a good year is probably um, the bigger part of it, you know. Yeah, it's almost like a cult, though. And I did say cult. Mm. Um, <laughs> the, you know, in South Africa, that you know, Razi and the current Springboks team, especially since they won the World Cup, that they're, they're so far as a lot of South African fans are are concerned, they're completely untouchable. That you know, this is all a, a world rugby conspiracy to take them down, and it's the fact they've now appealed is only going to reinforce that feeling and. I kind of think, you know, I think you're right, Craig. It's, it's the arrogance of him. When you look, read the judgment, the whole thing is complete arrogance. They said, mm. you've insulted Nick Berry. I haven't insulted him, but if 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 by criticising his performance I've insulted him, then yes, I've insulted him. It's, it's just a, some of the stuff he's come up with. The fact that he kind of pleaded poverty as well in his defence. Please don't find me because I'll I'll lose money. Please don't ban me because I'll lose money from my, my performance bonuses. You know, despite the fact he's dragged the guy, you know, what international referees are on nothing. You know, they're on, they, I mean, probably a reasonable amount of money, but they've all got second jobs. It's not a full time job for for them. You know, so given what Razi will be on, the fact he's then kind of dragged somebody's name through the mud, who's worked hard to build a reputation for him, is just, yeah, it's disgusting. One of the excerpts. Uh, a further point made in mitigation and written submission on his behalf is that any suspension should also not be interpreted by the players as retribution for their coach standing up for them. Uh, and this is the big sort of bit. With respect, he appears not to appreciate the corrosive effect his behaviour has on the game more widely, as well as the viewing public and press. We cannot see how such conduct improves his standing or moral authority in the eyes of his players or or, or of informed observers. Yeah. Th- there's He's, a couple of... Th- yeah. There's a couple of things there. I think one one is that I think the media plays into this, and you know the the I'm becoming more of to the mind that we just we just take the referee out of it, and and, and we shouldn't criticize referees anymore because it's their interpretation, it's their it's their game, it's the, the team should adapt to that, and the referee should be we we you, you, their inter- it's their interpretation of the laws at the end of the day and you might disagree with it but it's pointless arguing with it what's happened what the decisions have been made have been made and if your team's in a position to lose because of a couple of refereeing decisions that's down to your team not the referee i think the media feeds into that because the narrative of every game is the influence the referee had on it not the influence that the, the, 
I think Sam Lana said on Twitter, there are more interesting things to talk about in rugby than what the referees do and what his decisions are. And, you know, the sky yeah. fed in that by bringing Nigel Owens in to, to, to analyse every single decision. Now, I don't mind him being there as an ex-referee explaining the reason for a decision or what the law says, but what he was there is saying whether he would have made that decision or not. So it just feeds into the narrative that referees are right or wrong rather than they're just interpreting the laws. I mean, the only, I mean do, do these people, in order to make sure that no mistakes happen, are we going to end up with a squad of referees like you get in NFL? That's going to be refereeing by committee, but you'll then make the game last even bloody longer. That would feed the South African standard, wouldn't it? Because they don't like games being played at pace. Yeah, we'd, we'd all have to just get really good at scrumming and hoofing the ball up in the air. Yeah. The, the, the other side of it, Craig, I suppose, is it feeds into the club game. So I, I was looking at the SIU disciplinary um, here in records for this season, just out of interest. I was looking it up for something else. And there's quite a large number on there for referee abuse and talking back to the referee. And, and all this kind of narrative of the influence that referees have on games does filter down and you know even last time around, you know referee you're killing us here with all these penalties it's with the referees not incurring the penalties have we lost Craig oh there he is sorry I'm I'm I'm, I'm breaking up Peter I'm going to have to leave and come back in sorry that's fine no worries Craig Craig went really he sounded like he'd been possessed there Ian <laughs> quite concerning I, I, I thought there was going to be a ransom demand <laughs> it's Razzy Razzy's <laughs> Razzie has kidnapped Craig. Bish, I mean, you watched, you know, you, you, you kind of go and cover a lot. You've, you cover kind of club games for the offside line. You've covered a bit of Super 6, but it does kind of... When I was when I played, the whole thing is the referees, you call him sir and he's impeachable and his decision goes. And it's not the referee's fault if you're incurring penalty after penalty. It's the team's fault for not listening to what the referee's asking you to do. Yeah, so it was a failure to adjust. I mean, sometimes I mean, there was a, a complaint I saw from uh, Musselboro recently. It wasn't about well, it was about stuff they thought the referees were missing. They thought that they were missing a lot of high shots um, from the Mar players, which you know, it's not it's not the sort of decisions. But with these things, it's always you know little infringements at the breakdown. And let's be honest, everyone's at it. You know, I think they did not say uh, there was a sort of test match, uh, not a, a test with a small t. Um, and they noticed something like 196 breakdown infringements over the course of 80 minutes. You know, so everyone's at it. Uh, and, uh, you know, and everyone's it'd be, poor, it'd be a dull it'd be game. It would be, it'd be a really dull game if those things weren't going on. Yeah, I mean, let's not kid ourselves and say that, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's probably worse now because everything can be shown in slow motion on social media. But abusing referees has been going on for quite a while. Um, it's just, you know, it's more echoed now by our Twitters and whatnot. Um, and like you said, if, it's, if it starts bleeding down into club games, I, I, just, I can't say I've noticed it being a massive thing. You know, you, you hear the odd thing from the stand. Um, but I don't... I don't know if standards are dropping as such. Maybe the... the I actually noticed during the Super 6, there's quite a lot of teams got marched back for back chat. Yeah. Um so, well, I think we said you in the, the the standard of refereeing in the Super Six. I thought was was excellent. I thought it was very good. Yeah, was really good. Um, we had an article. There's an article on the blog, ScottishRugbyBlog.co.uk, from Rory Campbell, who used to be on the podcast, used to write for the um, for the blog. And uh, Rory's a member of the Borders Refereeing Society. Um, and Rory also referees. He's he's done some. He does international sevens. He does. Um, he's um, does some. I he's done some Super Six games. I think he did a game I was at recently. There was he's a Campbell who did very, very good ref. From what I've, whenever I've seen Rudy in charge, he's always always does a very good job, and he's one of the up and coming referees. Now he's written an article for the blog talking about kind of that that you know the struggling to get referees to referee games and and stuff like this doesn't help. No, no, certainly won't because you know if that's what you know once you reach the peak of your career, you get somebody in a, a position of more sort of power and influence. Just drags your name through the mud and calls you all sorts of things. So it's not going to encourage that. And obviously, there was the incident a couple of weeks ago. I think it was, I think it was when John was hosting last week. Um, a referee in Cumbria had said he was like, "I'm done," and you know they're they're really short of refs. And JB had his say on it. 
Yeah. Guess what? Guess what? It was a terrible take. What you shock me? I know. Well, an awful take from 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 the Chasers Rugby podcast. Um, shall we? Shall we talk about while we talk about Razzie? Shall we talk about the South Africa game then? Yes, we'll, we'll let's forget see. about we'll forget pro, about the fact prowling the touchline like a cheater. Cheater, kind of telling to, telling guys to fire high, telling these players to fire high balls up in the air and coaching them from the sidelines and walking yeah. on with these water. But let's talk Take about the breather. South Africa game. I know. Um, I watched it back to do the player ratings, Ian, and I know I think you've watched it back as well. I don't it's think, deep. I don't think. It was as bad as some people have made out. I think there's a couple of key moments. I think the key moment for me is the Blair Kinghorn turnover. And when McAnally loses, we're still in the game when Mac and McAnally loses that line out. The box clear. We get another chance further up the pitch and Ashman overthrows it. I think that's the moment when the game, I'm not blaming it on those two, on, on the hookers, but that's the moment I think where the game went. And that's, that's what, like seven, 60 odd minutes? Didn't write it down, but it was quite late on. Was it maybe it's because we essentially got the um Hog scores his second, the and from mm-hmm. the from the basically from the restart, we boot up the field, King Horn chases, gets the turnover, we get a line out, and that was putting pressure straight back on them. And that was the point at which we could have got back into the game, but instead, as is always the way with Scotland, for some reason, when we're in these positions, we throw to the tail of the bloody line out. I mean, I, th- I, th- I assumed that I read a wee bit of um, analysis, and the guy was comparing it to the Ireland game when Ireland completely destroyed our line out. Um, but we only looking back at it, we only lost. Well, we lost three, and then one. I know it says only lost three, but you know the Ireland game was a complete disaster. Um, so I think we we lost three, and then one was tipped by Gilchrist, but then recovered by South Africa. Um, but it's, it's, it's the clutch moments, as we say. Because mm. uh, we lost the first one. I wrote down when we've lost them all. Uh, yeah, we lost one. The first one got lost to the middle. Um, and, you know, fair enough, you know, you want to go to the tail five metres out. But are Scotland really going to try and maul South Africa, by South Africa? Is that, I know the hookers have got a, a great scoring record, but are we really going to try that? Um, aye, it was just... The set piece isn't great. Well, obviously the scrum was a disaster, but I have a few opinions on that. Incidentally, <laughs> okay. Do you want to do? Should we do scrums? Um, if you want, Johnny McGinn. Johnny McGinty's not here, so he can't. He can't slander Pierre Schumann. Ah, but Johnny was Johnny McGinty was only going by his feelings. He was going by the uh, <laughs> by the um, uh, the the Roman Poit. Uh, just vibes feeling for it. Um, no, I, I think the, the issue I think we had was and they, they were with set piece and, uh, and complete. I think it's it's almost like the the old ways of Sterling Moss when he used to drive in the rain, uh, race in the rain. He used to wiggle the car about and people would go off. Sterling Moss is having trouble in the rain. Everyone's going to have trouble in the rain. And I think it's the same thing. People are believing that the South Africans are the best at set piece at, at, at scrummage and, and, and it so you load yourself up to you you're con, so concerned about it that that the it comes true if you know what I mean. Um Xander was 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 toast um in the uh in the scrums and at one point I've never seen him with his feet off the ground in my life before. Um and uh it was it was a fairly um you know the South Africans did have them, especially when they brought on their their, their bomb squad um, uh, at, at forty nine minutes. No, thirty nine. Thirty nine minutes. Sorry, yeah, that's Four what I mean. Um, so yeah, it was difficult, and 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 Johnny, uh, Johnny was saying that he, he felt that um, that uh, Schumann uh, was wasn't isn't showing. Um, or what's the word? He's showing speed, that he's, of, speed of thought. I think was, was speed of point. thought. But he was the he was one of the the things that stopped our scrum going fully back, like it was on roller mm. skates. So it, it's a really difficult situation to be in, you know. See, one of those things you mentioned there about Fagerson having his feet off the floor. Should that not be a penalty to Scotland? 
I'm, I'm just trying to look the law up now, but there's a, a law about driving under your opponent and uh, arching their back and it being dangerous. Because I remember when, you know, the usual suspects were um, distributing a clip. I think it was from Six Nations game uh, of France going right through somebody. And, you know, the opposite uh, prop sort of his back getting arched and him getting popped up and it looked really dangerous. And yeah. I'm sure there's, there's a law about that, that if you... I don't know if you're meant to like stop driving. I mean, obviously there's popping ups different, but it's when the the back is arched. Is that would be down to to the referee to stop that though, because they 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 have to, they, you know, if they think that the scrum is dangerous, then they have, they have to blow the whistle. Um, and he had a fair, perfectly good view of it. Um, Xander was just unfortunately, uh, um, he'd he'd been tipped in sideways and and. I've forgotten who he was up against. I don't know who it was. Uh, Oxen G. Was it Oxen G that, that had him? Yeah. Um, and 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 unfortunately, he's got the pressure of the scrum coming behind him, and he's got the pressure of the scrum coming coming for him, and and he just got in a bad position, um, and up he went. Um, it's it's very rare to see an international prop with his feet off the ground, and I'm not blaming Xander completely in this. Um, I you know he just unfortunately was outclassed, but on the other side of things. I think we all had, all our, our, I think our our, um, uh, our forward pack didn't fire on all cylinders this this weekend. You know, I think the um, one that you're looking at, Ian, is uh, players may push provided they do so straight and parallel to the ground. Is is the is the law that you're looking at. So I assume the, the, the uh, sanctions a penalty if you fail to do that. So I suppose the, if you're saying, I suppose if Xander's managed to be lifted up off his feet, then there's an argument to say that that's because a South African is not parallel to the ground and therefore has got underneath him. I suppose the counter thing is to say, is that because, you know, is that to do with the actions of his locks behind him? It's so also to, to Xander's shape as well. Um, you know, because obviously, the, the, you show me a, an international prop or even just any prop that isn't trying to isn't trying to get one over on his opposite number every single every single scrum. Um, you're, you're you're showing me a liar. So I think it's sorry. On you go, Ian. Oh no, yeah. So I found a different law, thirty-seven uh, C, intentionally lifting an opponent off their feet or forcing them upwards out of the scrum, which is also a penalty. But. Mm, mm. Uh, yeah. and I, I actually thought one of the I can't remember if it was the first scrum but um, certainly one where they got their first penalty uh, and she I thought because it was for wheeling but I thought and she like took one step forward then started wheeling round looked, his left leg yeah. certainly sort of went I think out. I think the main the problem the problem that Scotland the, the problem that we've got and I think maybe Schumann's um, a bit more hardened than Xander I think that for all his sandbags, Scotland have always lacked that kind of. Um, I suppose it's the street smarts at scrum time. We all seem to be on the other end of. Oh yeah, it's cheap. Well, I suppose it is cheap, but it's it's the margin. Let's call it marginal gains. Mm. The little things you can do to get you you know to kind of like influence your opponent's body position or the picture that you paint for the referee or the picture that you're able to make your opposition number paint for the referee so it makes it look like it's his fault. Do you know what I mean? It, it's not, I, I don't feel like Scotland have ever been on the right side of that. Maybe maybe we're too honest at scrum time, I don't know. That's why we have to get South Africans in to play first. <laughs> and coach. The issue, I think, I think the problem we have is we don't, now, I'm going to say a very sweeping statement here, but Rory Sutherland came on, came in, uh, came in, and came out of what I would say, um, you know, he was a late bloomer, and he became what we could probably call world class because he was a lion, and he and he started quite, you know, he started a, a fair few of the um, of the Lions' tests against South Africa, and he was, and he did a very, very good job in the set piece. Um, we are shy of that. If you look at, you know, Jamie Batty, um, you know, we're even going back to the fact of who who else did we bring along? Who else is on the um, uh, is on the list as a as a Scotland international prop? Um, and if you look at, you've got um, things like uh, 
uh, you know, you get to that point of we had to bring up Daryl Marshall, for example, um, and and it's it, it's we don't seem to have either the depth of front row and also second row um, coming through, or we aren't developing them correctly. Um, so it's an it's an interesting one, um, and uh, I think I think you know as I say I, I think it was just an unlucky day. And I think mm. um, I think Xander, you know, we breed our props a little. We want our props to be far more mobile on the field, um, and so you lose a bit of the size that these the, the, the South African props are because they are they they work well on the field, but they're not as mobile as um, as our props. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think in terms of size and physicality, I didn't really feel Ian that Scotland were overawed on at the weekend by South Africa. I mean. We've, we've fronted up in a way that we maybe haven't done against South Africa. I'm not saying we, we tried to play the South African way by trying to batter them. We, you know, Obviously, we're trying to go around them as well, but I don't really feel like, aside from in the scrum, I don't really feel like around the park that they bullied us much, which has maybe been the story of past tests with South Africa. Yeah, it's maybe not fighting fire with fire, just more trying to cushion them coming right through at you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the mall worked pretty well. Um, all defence worked uh, yeah, very well. Um, you know, obviously they've made strides in that in the last couple of years. Um, yeah, in terms of, because I, I remember like the the twenty fifteen World Cup game. I just remember like the Jaeger. I think the Jaeger and Etzebeth started that, and every time the Jaeger got the ball, like meters after contact, it was just constant. You know, he was it was taking two or three Scotsmen to bring him down. You know, after first tackle, he's getting another four or five yards easy, and more people having to come in, and he he smashed right through us. Um, but no, I don't. I don't I don't think it was anywhere near as bad as that at the weekend. Um, I thought Sam Skinner actually had a, a pretty good game. Yeah, he didn't seem to. No, we, we didn't do a lot with, with possession because we didn't have a great deal of it. But um, he certainly got around the park. Uh, important line out steel, and a couple of big hits. Um, I'm still not sure where his best position is. I think that's probably his problem. I don't think any, I don't think Townsend knows where his best position is either. I think the way Scotland want to play, I think his best position is either starting lock or on the bench because he offers that versatility. Yeah. But I thought he he definitely got around, and what I liked was that he showed up a lot in attack as well, not just in terms of carrying, but just kind of you know as in link play as well. I mean, the run up to the try, so Hogg's first try, you know, he was he was there. Uh, he's a lovely pass. I think I think I think the uh, the neck the neck healing experiment didn't didn't work unfortunately, um, uh, because I really didn't I, I I I didn't see anything that I didn't know about neck healing on on the weekend. In fact, he, he, I would probably put underperformed at his door. Um, I would have preferred to have seen Mish and Jamie Ritchie um, on, on you know on both sides um, and and kept what we what we did. Against um, against um, uh, Australia because our, our pack was 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 pretty good um, against Australia. So and okay, fair enough. The me, you see, the thing is, we we had a heavier pack than than, than South Africa as well. Mm. Um, you know, so uh, there's a people. That's because Quagga Smith's I'm, only like th- <laughs> ten stone, isn't he? Oh, Edinburgh reject uh, Quagga Smith, yeah. something else, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was just a for me. It was just an odd day, an odd game. Um, mm. You know, the people that you expected to perform, I felt didn't perform to what we expect them to perform, or they had quiet games. It was just a, it was odd. I liked Matt Scott. I'm proud to tell. I thought Matt Scott did re- a really good job at twelve. I don't didn't feel like Ian Scrooney's face up at me for uh, audio <laughs> listeners, but I thought. I mean, he came in at first receiver for the second try. I, he showed up a lot in um, attack. He got he, he kind of um, he got a really good turnover. I think he kind of caught South Africa napping at the back at base of a rock at one point. I didn't feel like Scotland were any worse with him at twelve than they are with Sam Johnson at twelve. I didn't feel like there was any step backwards with Matt Scott coming at the team, and I think that's a good thing. I think it shows we've got depth. I'd like to see him get another run out against Japan, if I'm honest, Craig. 
Yeah, I, 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 I've said on before, and I know Rory is a huge, uh, huge fan of Matt Scott. Um, I, I loved Matt Scott when he was with Edinburgh, um, and and he had a great partnership with, um, uh, with, uh, with Bennett. Um, in the centre partnership, and he was fabulous at, at, at breaking through tackles and 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 doing what Sam Johnson has been doing very very well. I think you could take either off them in and out of the team and not see a difference in performance. Just as you said, Cammy. The only thing that that, that goes in Johnson's in in Johnson's favour is the fact that he's got a partnership with um, with Chris Harris. Um, uh, he's because they've played so much together um, in a Scotland shirt, so that's the only thing you could maybe level at it. Yeah, but I didn't. I didn't really feel like I felt like that was there, and I don't. You know, given that you know, come, you know, you can kind of give me your response to this, but you know, it's four years since Matt Scott has played for Scotland, and he seemed to slot straight in, and I didn't really feel like the. the you know, Chris Harris was struggling because he had Matt Scott inside of him or anything. It, they, they looked to kind of gel relatively quickly. Um, yeah, well, he's he was really kind of anonymous um, in attack uh, until like Scotland had this like the, the sort of best spell we had was about the half hour mark. So you know, if it, you know, usually people like to split it in quarters because we were sort of so under the the caution that first half, I'm going to have to split it into eighth. Um, so it was the, the third eighth of the match um, we had a good patch where uh, like you said he snaffled Willie LaRue uh, when LaRue was trying to uh, box kick clear um, and what else did he do in that time then I think he had like one carry uh, but I think he only carried the ball three times um, he, he didn't get onto the ball much because um, I don't think I don't think he's a good, as good a passer as Johnson Um and Johnson I think doesn't a, pass, oh Ian. Johnson can throw amazing <laughs> passes. Uh, I've seen Scott Sam Johnson can go twenty meter pa- uh, passes um, if if he so requires to. Uh, <laughs> but I just I, I think it needed a big performance to take the, the jersey off Johnson or Cammy Redpath. You know when when the, yeah. the prodigal son returns. Um, and I don't really think we got it. He held up all right in defence, but. A lot of time, well, Finn seemed to be under pressure quite a lot. I think Finn mm. has a, you know, he's a bit off a rapport with Sam Johnson, which maybe he doesn't have the same with Scott, just, you know, how, how they like to run. Um, and I just think that Scott needed something big. Uh, he didn't quite provide it. And also the fact that he's you now 31. You know, he's he's going to be a filler, really. With, looking ahead to the World Cup, you know, he'll be, he'll be 33 at that point towards the end of his career. He's going to be a squad filler, really. Um, he's going to have to take. He's going to take some big performances. People are going to have to drop form. He's going to have to keep his uh, good enough level to kick the likes of Sam Johnson or um, Cabby Redbath out. I will just point out that um, Sam Johnson only made one more carry against Australia than Matt Scott did. I, I thought he made uh, a lot more meters. Because Matt Scott made seven meters and Sam Johnson made thirty something. Now, oh, well, there you go. I tried. I tried, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tried uh, to rebut his facts. And he made one more tackle. They both missed two, but he made one more oh, tackle. Oh, Ian, yeah, didn't be coming on here like Cammy did last week with all your and facts. he knocked Tom and Thor and out. Not- <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought Stuart Hogg had a bad game. I think. He, for all he scored his tries, I and he was, I, I think that's he just was in not the, the person that was in the line at the right time. I don't think there was anything exceptional the way he took his tries, and that's not, you know, I'm, I'm not that I don't want to kind of come down too hard on him, but anybody standing in the line at that point could have would have would have scored the tries. I don't think they were, they were kind of uh, great individual efforts, they were team efforts. But in defence, I thought he had a really weak game. He kind of seems to be back to where he was maybe two years ago, where he just isn't trusting, or is, is either he doesn't trust, or he want he's taking on too much responsibility himself in defence. Sorry, that's another thing about Matt Scott. He dogged for the second try. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the thing uh, is, yeah, with, with, with Hog, there, there was the there was the one try where he was he was in the middle of mid. He was in mid. He was defending in midfield. 
And maybe that's that might not be his fault. That might be a, a tactical failure, but your fullback shouldn't be in midfield. And all you had was Rufus McLean and Finn Russell covering for one of the tries. The other try, I think it was Matt Scott. And Matt Scott did dogleg, but Matt Scott also managed to get back enough to disrupt. And Rufus McLean was also there. And Hogg had come up far too... If Hogg had stayed back, it was a one-on-one and he could he would have easily pushed the player into touch because he rushed up. And then was in two minds as to what to do, even though Scott and McLean had the players fairly well covered. He overshot, and so it was a quick pass, and they were they were away for the try. And we've we've seen him do that in the past, and I don't know if it's a kind of he feels responsible for maybe like someone like Rufus McLean that he has to kind of come and help, or whether he doesn't trust that. People are going to make the cover and tackles and disrupt enough that he's going to be left with too much to do at the trial. I don't know what it is, but he just seemed to have that I'm going to do everything myself kind of head on. And when Scotland play well, Stuart Hogg doesn't seem to have that pressure on his shoulders, Craig. Yeah, we've talked about this before. Um, and and Hoggy seems to seems to try to if we if we're having a quiet game and we're not or we're not scoring many tries or we're up against it a little bit um if the, if if the opposition's defense is in our face quite a bit he tends to um try to create or drag the team along at his pace and unfortunately his pace tends to be um you know it's almost like an overexcited puppy at times. He'll run out and, and just as you say, he'll he'll run out in defence and try and smash someone, and then he misses the tackle or he misses the, uh, he, you know, he, he doesn't slow the person up, and uh, and and then he's not of any use at that point. Um, it is that he has suffered from that at times. He has, don't get me wrong, he's a phenomenal player, and we're lucky to have him. Um, but you did see it. He was quite sometimes he was quiet in the Lions tour as well, and. There was just a few different things that just wasn't right with him on the yeah. weekend. Are we being harsh, Ian? Um, I, I don't think, not not particularly, no. Uh, I also think that he was, even sort of simple ones, he, he spilled a couple of high balls, mm. which we thought we, he'd got rid of. Um, alas, here it's back again. Um, yeah, that's... Boringly, I think I'm just going to have to completely agree with you. Uh, you know, it's, it, he just finished off the tries. Um, so he said, you know, it was good in our play before that. They just needed somebody with a bit, a bit of gas, even if he didn't have enough gas. Uh, McLean was out on the wing to finish that second one off. Um, so, yeah, it's not, not, not his best day at the office. Didn't really uh, use his boot much either. Um, no, no, no. But again, he did I have one, one big yeah. spiral did go down. He did. He did a, a one big spiral bomb down the down the, um, the the far side of the field. I think we're we're escaping from our own twenty-two, and we decided to play it. And the ball came at him, and he absolutely booted it up the up the field. But that's the only time I actually thought I saw him kick. Yeah, I think I don't know whether or not again, but I don't know if that's hoggy or whether that's tactical because the you know Russell was covering the backfield, and normally. Scotland the last few years, Russell and Hogg have both been back to do those kicks, you know, to, to kind of catch and then just spiral them back up the field. But Hogg wasn't there that much. And I don't know if that's tactical or just that he felt he needed to be further up the pitch as captain. But, you know, I'll get sorted for the weekend, no doubt. Do have. You've got to put. Sorry, sorry. Carry on. Carry no, you go on. No, go, go no, on you, you've got just, just in a slight, just in slightly in Hoggy's defence, though, that he's, he's that much of a. Uh, you know he's he's not he's not in the position that we, that he is in um, of taking the taking the game into his own hands. That'll be a tactical thing. He'll have been told to do that because there's you know to be out of that out of position like that compared to what he has been before with Finn Russell. There's got there's no way he's just decided he's going to do that and and leave us lacking at the back. I'm sure he's you know it must have been something tactical. Yeah. Duhan, on the other hand, I just want to talk about Duhan before we go. I mean, lots of the, the player ratings are up on the blog if you want to kind of see how we think about other players. But I, for a game that we thought Duhan was, I thought was was phenomenal at the weekend. Ian, I thought you know that the the offload out the back in the run up to the try under the high ball, it really kind of you look at a player from Scotland 
aside from Ali Price, and we could probably talk about Ali Price as well, because yeah, I thought he had a really good game at the weekend as yeah, well. Um, Duhan, his experience with the Lions really has kicked his game on quite significantly. Yes, we all know how good he is at kick Jason now, thanks to the Lions. Um, but yeah, it was that you know that that break uh, in the first half, you know, was sensational. Um, and we we saw sort of. Like you said, you know, the offload of the try, but it's actually when he first uh, gathers Finn Russell's cross kick, you know, he shows like Bally like poise to, to sort of daintily skip back in field uh, before, you know, hitting on the hitting on the turbo boosters. Um, yeah, he is, he's very much nearly the complete package and may feature later in uh, Hands in the Ruck. Ooh. He did get us out of jail at the, at the beginning as well when Finn Russell just a bit got caught. Um, caught in our own 22 when we decided to run it and Finn got the ball to him and he found that hole um, and well it was probably the drink that was talking but I thought he was going all the way um, <laughs> yeah, I almost made Johnny spill his pint um, I know. But, uh, well, well that's it, made it halfway and won the first point of the match you know, by winning the penalty mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah. from an old play um, I don't want to dwell too much longer on um, the um, South Africa game, and um, we'll do a, a Japan preview if we're able to before um, uh, as as, a, as we extra podcast later on in the week. Um, I, I want to talk about Scotland women versus Japan, though, Craig. Um, it was a strange game. And we talked before on the preview podcast, you and I and John kind of saying, "Well, look, given the result against Wales, that you know it's, we, we we'll expect Scotland to do quite well here. That yeah, they, they lost the last game to Japan, but." They made quite hard work of it in the first half, given that Japan were down to fourteen. Yes, yeah. I, 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 I was watching the game, thinking, "Where's either Japan have really just upped their game, or we're making an awful lot of mistakes?" And it seemed to be that we were making an awful lot of little mistakes, and and. Japan were very good in defence, I thought, and they, they, you know, they were, they were bringing the game to to Scotland in defence, definitely, um, until, unfortunately, there was a stray, um, well, it wasn't even a stray shoulder, it was the whole body of the um, of the second row for Japan that absolutely smashed, um, I've, I've forgotten who it was that smashed, but it was, you know, to get the, to get the red card, it was properly right to the head, so um, it, it, it was, uh, I honestly thought it was more back to the old Scotland again, Mm-hmm. Um, and then I believe there was a fairly frank half-time conversation, um, and uh, they came out and and, and absolutely they, they looked a different team. Yeah, I mean, even though they looked a different team, Ian, I thought in the second half there was still kind of there was still a little bit frantic and maybe a little bit more control that could have been a bigger score because there were still times when. It was almost like, and I suppose it's the thing that sometimes happens in rugby games, isn't it? The, the other team go down at 14 and you think, here we go, we've got a one-man advantage. This is going to be easy. And there were still times in that second half where, you know, passes were just flung a little bit recklessly and chances weren't taken. Were, you know, it wasn't as clinical as it could have been. Um, yeah, very much so. Um, it was Rona Lloyd that got smashed in the face. Sorry, saying, yeah. um, How she got yeah, smashed but... in the face and then still ran in some of those tries, I'll never know. Yeah, and I couldn't believe as well, like, Hugh Dan was trying to talk it down. He was like, oh, there's a bit of a dip. It's like, yeah, there's a tiny bit of a dip. And then there's a driving shoulder up the way, you know, <laughs> into the jaw area. This is uh, this is not good. Um that always seems to be the way with Scotland, though, is that, uh, you know, the... Well, here's an interesting fact for you. Um, that backline from 9 to 15, exactly the same backline as the game that started two years ago against Japan. Mm. So, um, obviously, you know, a wee bit of extra time together has helped their cohesion eventually, but they just took their, their time to show it. Um, like you said, you know, it's like when... When you go down to 14 players, you know, when the opponents go down, then a player, uh, this expectation is then on you to like, oh, look, we now have all this extra space, let's use it. Um, but, you know, the scores were still quite tight at that point, and you would think, all right, now's our chance, now we're the favourites. So I think maybe they had maybe a bit of white line fever set in, or yeah. you know, they just, just lost yeah. their composure. Um, but then, 
Right, I, I had to turn the sound off at this point, but why the hell, when the clock showed 40, why wasn't the ball kicked out at the end of the first half, once we turned it over on our own try line? Was the clock wrong on the on the TV? Do you know? I think it's a white line fever. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I, uh, that's, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Because I, I, like I could understand the first couple because they were quite central. So it's like, do, do, can you, do you really risk trying to boot it out to the touchline with you know Japanese players diving on top of you? They managed to get out, uh, out wider. I think it was maybe Megan Gaffney was in possession, and as a winger, you know she's not used to she's used to booting the ball, so we nudge out, but see we keep playing, lost it, and then lost the try. Um, so that's that's a habit that Scotland really need to yeah. um, need to stop is losing tries right on half time. It's the cl- I think it's it's that clinicalness, isn't it? That 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 they need to develop is that kind of a, a bit of ruthlessness because the I actually think the the passing even over the last few games is is so much sharper from the base of the ruck. Yeah, you know that the passes are, are, are quick, they're sharp, they're direct, they're, go, they're going through the hands quicker. Um, there's maybe. I don't know. I think they're maybe trying to go a bit too wide, a bit too quickly, and struggling a little bit with the blitz defense. But other, it's. I think it's the, like you say, it's the white line fever. That's that's what's holding them back at the minute. I think there's a bit more composure and patience, and and the wins will come. And it's just, I think that's just experience, maybe Craig. Yeah, and they've got the pack to do it as well. They've got the forward pack, though. It, it, you know, in previous incarnations. You, you worried about the physicality of the of the, of the Scotland pack, but the pack they've got just now is is doing. You know, it used to be Jade Conkle stood out from out by a mile with her physicality, but actually that that they're now all kind of following her, following in her footsteps, and so they've got the ability to suck the suck the players in, especially when you're down to fourteen. They've got the ability to hit hit the rocks, hit the rocks, hit the rocks, and then then move it out to the backs because, as you see, the the, the passing has crispened up. Has become far crispy. I'm going to. I'm trying to say that the passing is very crisp and very very quick, um, and uh, and they've got the ability to to move the ball out 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 to the wing, just as you say. But just as, they they need to use their pack a little bit more. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's. I mean, it was a good win. It, it kind of shows in, I suppose, that the, it's a team now that's had a bit of time together. Like you said, that's a consistent backline. That we've got, I think the the problem probably is, and I think we've seen it maybe um, when they've like the the it's it's getting the depth now, but but like behind yeah. that because um, who was it? Was it Mary? I can't remember the scrum half that was playing for a while. Um, ah, second name escapes me. It's Mary was the first, first name, but the I think it's just those players getting a chance to come on and kind of develop a little bit because there isn't many opportunities for that because the drop-off after international rugby for a lot of the women is back down to the Scottish leagues. There are some playing in the Premier 15s. There's, you know, Roland Law is playing in France now, but it it's a, it's, I think when Scotland are at full strength, they could pretty much take anyone from number three in the world down in the rankings. And they have done. They've beaten France, beaten Ireland, you take easily kind of take on um you know Canada even um England, New Zealand are maybe a bit of a stretch, but they've beaten all these other teams. It's just but but you worry what will happen when you big you know what the, these players get injured. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, um and you know, I mentioned the backs were all the same. The the forward pack, there's actually very little change as well. Um one of them is that Rachel Malcolm uh, started that match, the, the match in 2019, she started the hooker, um, but she was in the back for this time, and Lana Skeldon was playing at hooker, so they have, that's someone who's um, quite a familiar face uh, in a Scotland jersey. Mm-hmm. Um, aye, so there, well, the only way we build depth is by getting a better infrastructure for all the players, like yeah. pro yeah. team, perhaps, yeah. Uh, yeah. which we've discussed before. Um as a concern, but uh, yeah, you know, there's you can see the progress that's being made because I think, especially defensively, because um, Japan the last time they sort of carved us open, but we seem to be a lot more structured. There was um, they, they still look dangerous, you know, played a, a fast paced offloading game uh, a couple of times in the second half, 
uh, when it looked like you know looked like Scotland were starting to break clear, but then Japan starting to threaten until it was finished off. Uh, but yeah, we just look a lot better organised in defence. Um, I think the work rate has increased. I think yeah. fitness has, has got better, mm-hmm. especially now that more of them are playing uh, in, in professional um, surroundings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Yep. I think that covers that game. Um, we'll um, we'll leave it there for our main podcast for this week, I think. Anything from either of you before we move on to to the sweary um, bit? No, although just say uh, Megan Gaffney's try was quite lovely, wasn't it? There was a brilliant oh, yeah. offloads from... Oh, yeah. They were all they were all lovely tries. To be fair, they were all absolutely beautiful tries. I mean the the one where how is it the one where somehow even though it was like really late in the match where Ronald Lloyd managed to somehow like beat the ball to then kind of like even though she tripped halfway to try and catch yeah, it, yeah, <laughs> I still made it. Like both both of them, she's like just chased kicks, just and just gone off like I've. I've heard from someone about the stats during the GB sevens trials, and Rona Lloyd was still the third fastest. Now, to be, I don't know who was faster than her. It wasn't she Jazz Joyce. No. It wasn't Jazz Joyce. See, I, I was, I was and, that, and I just think and that, I don't think it's humanly possible to be faster than Rona Lloyd. See, who would win in a race between her and just before her uh, Rona Lloyd second try? Chloe Raleigh had done a, a break uh-huh. from like ten meters out. And she went off. You know what? Is? I think it's because they've both got really long hair. Um, as they run, it sort of goes in the wind like a, you know, their fetlocks blow in the wind, like a unicorn's tail. I think it's the same. It's the same thing with, with as as with Sean Maitland. When you watch Sean Maitland run, he goes really fast, but his legs look like they're walking. <laughs> yeah, right? and, and yeah, Ronald's got exactly the, the same. It's the long stride, long stride yeah. covering like half the pitch with one stride. It's just. You're like that person's not running fast at all. Hang on a minute, they're running faster than the ball's been kicked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we'll leave it there for this week. So thank you very much to our regular listeners. For Patreons, if you hang on, if you're watching live, you'll get the uh, Patreon extra podcast in a moment. For Patreons who are listening along, uh, you can go and listen to the second part of this podcast very shortly. We will possibly have a Japan v Scotland preview podcast, um, depending on how things go. Um, once the teams are announced, which we we're probably expecting that Thursday. So normally Friday lunchtime, we try and do we half an hour preview podcast over the lunchtime. Um, for the moment, though, it is goodbye from me and goodbye from Ian and Craig. Bye. Ciao.